It's such a pleasure to be with you all here tonight. If you've got your Bibles with you, and Carol's given them out, so I know you've got them, so you can't hide them. Um, we're going to be focusing mainly on Luke 19 today, which is the, the story of Zacchaeus, as we read earlier. And I want to digest this passage a bit to aid your understanding of exactly what's going on in this story of Zacchaeus. And then I want to give you three keys to new beginnings, three keys to change in your life that are exhibited in both these two stories that we've read today, both in the blind man, the story of the blind man, and the story of Zacchaeus. So three keys that we're going to come to later. But first, we need to digest this passage. We need to understand exactly what it's telling us. So we start at the beginning, as always, Luke 19, verses 1 and 2, says, He, referring to Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very rich. Now these last two descriptive words are very important because Luke is a doctor. He is a, he's got an eye for detail and he adds things because they're important. And what this tells us was he's a chief tax collector. That tells us he worked for the Romans. So he worked for those who were oppressing the Jews. And the fact that he was very rich is always portrayed very negatively in Luke because money is seen to get in the way of our relationship with God. And it's meant negatively in this way because the way Zacchaeus got rich was by extracting money from his fellow Jews. So because he worked for the Romans, he had to extract the taxes from his fellow Jews on behalf of the Romans. And the way the tax collectors made their money was by extracting, and they got a percentage of whatever they managed to extract. So a lot of the tax collectors were crooked. A lot of them charged a lot more tax than people actually owed, because that way they would build up their own personal finances. So the Jews didn't like tax collectors, so they wouldn't have liked Zacchaeus. And not only does that, that first part tell us, but we also can tell from verse 7 later on in their response to Jesus inviting Zacchaeus over to his house. It says they all grumbled because he was a sinner. So verse 3 and 4. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. This is Zacchaeus. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now Zacchaeus was too short. He'd set out on his home that morning with the goal to see Jesus. He wanted to meet the guy that everyone had been talking about. You've got to remember we're in chapter 18, 19 here in Luke, get it right. That means we've had 18 chapters before. This is actually one of the last miracles we see Jesus doing in the work he does with the blind man and then the transformation we see in Zacchaeus before he starts on his road to Jerusalem where he's going to eventually die. In the chapters before, there are various miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of various different blind men, the casting out of demons. So we've already had the backlog of the story. They say Jesus' ministry lasted three years. This is coming up to the end of those three years. So they would have been well aware of all that Jesus had been doing in this time. So he wanted to meet this guy that everyone had been talking about. But he reached his first obstacle when he arrived at the side of the road, ready to see Jesus. I don't know what, what he was thinking at the time, but maybe he was running late. Maybe all the crowd got there before him. Maybe he wasn't expecting there to be so many people to see Jesus. But he arrived and he was too short. He couldn't see over the crowd and he knew he wouldn't be able to see Jesus. So this is the first 
crossroads that Zacchaeus reaches. And we meet these obstacles in our day-to-day life all the time. And we have decisions we have to make. And the little voice in your head pops up. And I think if, if Zacchaeus was listening to that little voice, it probably would have said something like this. Maybe you're not good enough to see Jesus. Maybe you should just go home. Maybe it's not God's will for you to meet Jesus today. You should just go home. Or look at the crowd. None of these people like you. They're not going to let you through. They're not going to allow you to see Jesus. Let's just go back home. So Zacchaeus has met his first hurdle. And often in our lives we reach hurdles. And often when we come against opposition, we take it as a sign that it's not right. But I think opposition is usually a sign that we are doing things right It's more likely a sign that you're doing something right and someone else doesn't like you doing something right. Opposition comes because there is an oppressor, there is a devil, there is something that comes against us that stops us pursuing our calling that God has placed on our life. And Zagius could have given up here, but instead he worked hard. And I love what St. Augustine said. He said, pray as though everything depended on God and work as though everything depended on you. Now in our work-life balance, there's always an area of this that we excel in and there's an area that we struggle in. For me, I'm very good at working. I'm very good at getting the job done, putting my head down and doing everything I need to do to make sure everything happens. But then the prayer suffers. And if it was dependent wholly on my prayer life, not a lot would happen. And I think a lot of us will swing to one direction or another. We're either really good at praying and talking to God and asking God for things, but then we struggle to step out and actually get moving and actually do something. Or you may be on the other hand like me, that you're happy to work, you're happy to do things and get things done, but your reliance is more on yourself and not on God. So Zacchaeus pushed through and he continued working. He did everything in his ability to get him to see Jesus. And I believe that God has given you free will and the ability to do things because he expects you to do things. God will do nothing for you that you can do for yourself. God will only do that bit extra. He expects you to take that step. Faith without works is dead, James tells us. If we sit on our bottoms and do nothing in life, then nothing will happen. We should be out there. We should be moving. We need to make that first step. And in both the blind man calling out to Jesus and Zacchaeus going this extra mile to see Jesus, we see them making the step towards Jesus and pursuing him. Verse 5 and 6. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Jesus picks Zacchaeus out of the crowd. Now we already know it's busy here. We already know there's lots of people on the road. But Jesus chooses to pick Zacchaeus. Why? It might be because he was dangling on a tree in front of him. He was a bit more obvious choice than some of the other crowd members. But we've got to remember that Jesus used his name. Jesus knew who he was looking for. He knew Zacchaeus, and he picked him out of the crowd. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us why Jesus knew his name or how Jesus knew his name, but I have a theory 
Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus' relationship with God unfold. He spends time in prayer with his Father. He often snuck off early to spend time praying with God before the day started, before his ministry of that day started. And I believe in those times that he received from God what was going to happen in that day. He got some words of knowledge. He got some insight into what God had planned for that day because I believe God knew he was going to meet Zacchaeus and he would have told Jesus, look out for the short man dangling from the tree. His name is Zacchaeus. And I also think this is significant because Zacchaeus could have not been there. He could have arrived at the crowd and listened to that small voice and then gone back home again. And would Jesus have met him? No, probably not. We'd probably not even see this story in our Bibles. But because Zacchaeus pursued on, he knew he had to meet Jesus. He made the decision to overcome the obstacle. That is what allowed Jesus to point him out of the crowd, to spot him, and to invite himself over for afternoon tea. And in that culture, inviting yourself over to someone's house was seen as a sign of accepting that person. So it was a sign of, I agree with this person, I understand this person, I'm happy to put my reputation up against this person. And this is why the crowd isn't too happy about it. They think Zacchaeus is a sinner. He's rich because he's exploited his fellow Jews. He's a sinner in their eyes. He's evil, he's not nice, and Jesus should not be spending time with him. They should be spending time with me, a righteous person who is just standing on the road doing nothing Nothing wrong at all. They are not happy about Jesus spending time with him. That's verse 7. So verse 8 says this, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In addition to anyone who was robbed, they will be paid back to the maximum amount that the law allows. Now, the law, as we see in the first few books of the Bible, only declares that Zacchaeus has to pay back the whole amount plus 20%. So he's got to give them 20% interest on what he's stolen. That's what the law says. But here in this passage, we see Zacchaeus gives them four times what they are owed, which is actually the maximum the amount the law will give As it says in in 2 Samuel, it says he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole, for having no pity. He paid the maximum price that the law allowed in order to return those goods. He also gave half his money to the poor, which showed a generous heart. It showed that he understood what he'd done wrong and was willing to repent and make a difference to the situation. Now, I want to turn to another story that's found earlier on in Luke If you've got your Bibles open, if you flick back one or two pages, you'll find in Luke 18, verse 18, Jesus speaks to this young rich man. Now we're going to read this together because it gives us significance to what Zacchaeus has done. So Luke 18, verse 18, the rich man. Once a religious leader asked Jesus the question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. 
You must not testify falsely. Honour your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? He replied, What is impossible for people is possible for God. Peter said, We've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied. I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. So this story of the rich man and this conversation that Jesus has with this Pharisee comes just before the blind beggar and just before our story of Zacchaeus who as you may have noticed from the previous passage was also a very rich man. Now, why does the rich man go away sad? Well, he goes away sad because he's unwilling to give up his wealth in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. He has got his identity attached to his money. His significance, his importance is connected to the amount of money he has. So it's difficult for him to give that up and to release that. And Jesus knows that. And that's why he picks that out as the one thing that the rich man hasn't done already. But we contrast with this with Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus is also a very rich man, but what has Zacchaeus just done in the story? Zacchaeus has just given away half of his wealth and repaid all that he owed four times over. So if we compare him to the rich man who walked away sad, he has actually managed to fit through the eye of a needle. He has seen the importance of Jesus' message, the importance of Jesus' teaching, the importance of generosity in his life and releasing that money from having a hold over him. Because greed just wants you to pile on. We watched uh, the Hobbit movie um, a couple of weeks ago and you've got a massive dragon who's sitting on a pile of gold. If anyone's read the books or seen the films, you will see the gold is stretched far beyond the eye can see. And the, the dwarf king arrives, they get rid of the dragon, and he now owns this mountain full of gold. And all he can think about is this gold and keeping the gold. And he's made several promises to share what he's found with the people who've helped him find that. And he refuses to give what he's owed because the gold now belongs to him. Greed consumes us and it takes over us. And this is what the rich man had Not such a vast scale. I don't think he had the wealth of Smarg's Mountain. But he had that richness and that wealth that he was attached to. And Zacchaeus let that go. Now, the change in Zacchaeus, we don't know what happened afterwards. But we can assume by what Jesus says next that that change was permanent. And that means a change of the style of living and the change of the way Zacchaeus was going to act himself in his future tax collection 
um, job. He was no longer going to cheat people because he'd seen the errors of his way. He's no longer consumed by getting as much finances as possible. So he probably was one of the only straight tax collectors in Jericho at that time. We can assume that there was lasting change in his life. Verse 9 and 10 says this, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus makes it through the eye of the needle, and Jesus proclaims that he has made it into heaven. Salvation has come to this place. I was reading your church website before I arrived and I came across your, your vision statement, your mission statement to, thri- to, to be a thriving, growing church at the heart of the parish, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and serving the community. And if Jesus was to have a mission statement for his ministry, it would be verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't just come to save us, he came to find us and then lift us out of oppression. He came to find people like Zacchaeus, which is why he, he pointed him out. This is why he, his ministry focused around those who the Pharisees weren't taking care of. He wasn't there to minister to the Pharisees. He didn't come to speak to all the religious leaders. He came for those who were oppressed, for those who were broken, for those who were lost, and for those who needed God. So how does this relate to us? Well, in both the stories that we read, both men knew Jesus. And both of these men were given a new start at life, an opportunity to live differently because of their encounter with God. So the first key to a new encounter is to know Jesus. Now the blind man had positioned himself outside the gates of Jericho. This is where the maximum amount of foot traffic would have come, so his begging would have brought him in enough income to feed himself. He'd placed himself in the foot traffic, so he would have heard what people were saying. He would have heard the good stuff that Jesus had been doing over the last two or three years of his ministry. So he probably knew that other blind men had had their eyes opened by Jesus. Zacchaeus, as we've already talked about, lived in the city of Jericho. He was a tax collector, so he probably met every single Jew that was in that city. And people talk. People gossip the good stuff. People like talking about Jesus. So he probably would have heard about Jesus. So we can be sure that that's happened in the last 18 chapters of Luke. Would have got through in some way to these two men. So they both knew Jesus. Second key we learn from the stories, both men wanted to change. Now Zacchaeus maybe didn't know he wanted to change at the start of the story. Maybe if he'd turned around and gone back at that point, he would have carried on his life. I don't know. He could have changed. It was a decision he had to make to change. But after meeting Jesus, we know that he wanted to change. And then he did change. The blind man we knew wanted to change. His blindness, his disability had probably been the cause of him being a beggar. Because as a blind man, he probably couldn't work in that society. Also, sickness was seen as a very negative thing in that culture. It was seen as a sign of not having God's blessing, of God's hand not being on your life, and actually you walking in disobedience to God. Now, we know that's not true, but that is how they viewed it in culture. So he would have been seen very negatively 
by people walking past. The cause of his poverty was his condition. So we know that the blind man wanted to change, which is why he called out to Jesus. The third key, both men needed encounter with God to change. The blind beggar on the side of the road has no ability to get himself anywhere in life. He was stuck there. It wasn't the decisions he'd made. It wasn't his fault. He was blind. He couldn't work, so he was probably a beggar for that reason. But he knew one thing that could make a difference in his life. One thing that could change his circumstances. And that was an encounter with Jesus. And that was an encounter with Jesus. This is why he so persistently prayed. Prayer, after all, is talking to God. When he called out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's prayer. He's talking to God. He persisted in his prayer. When the crowd, when the people around him shunned him down, they told him to be quiet. They told him to stop talking, just like many other people have in other miracles that are recorded in the Gospels. Don't bother Jesus. He doesn't want to hear about that. Get the children away from him. He doesn't want to see them. There's often obstacles that get in the way. Zacchaeus, it was the crowd. The blind beggar, it was the the crowd around him as well that were calling him down, that were putting him down, that were telling him to be quiet. Now, as I was praying and preparing for this message, I really felt God lay the word anchor on on my heart. And I believe this is for one of you in this room. It may not be, but if this resonates with you today, there are people in our lives that can be anchors. People in our lives that hold us down and hold us still and stop us from moving. Just like a ship has a big anchor when it wants to stop moving, it drops the anchor into the ground and that stops it being able to move forward. It stops the waves moving it about, but it stops it reaching its destination as well. And there are sometimes people in our lives that grab onto us like an anchor and they hold us down. And they stop us moving forward in life and stop us pursuing the call that God has placed on our life. Now I believe there's, there's someone with that kind of relationship in their life and I, I want to tell you that it's okay to let them go. It's okay to cut off that anchor, to cut off that chain and release it. Because you may not be the best person to minister to that person. And while you're holding on, you're stopping someone else ministering and reaching to that person. You're also not reaching your full potential and not walking in the calling that God has called for you. And just like Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 10, shake the dust off your feet, you need to move on. What obstacles are in your life? Is it a person? Is it circumstances? Is it things you can change that will influence your situation? Now Zacchaeus is a little different as we didn't know whether he wanted to change before meeting Jesus, he could quite well have arrived with the intention of meeting Jesus and having him change his life. But what we do know is the encounter with Jesus, meeting Jesus, changed his life. And it made him want to change. And that often happens in our life. When we accept Jesus into our lives, change begins to happen. His spirit begins to speak to us, to minister to us, and institute change in our life. He starts to mould us into the likeness of his son. When something gets the better of us, he prompts us to lay it down, to release it to him, and to put him back at the centre. You see, God loves you and accepts you just the way you are, but he loves you so much that he won't let you stay that way if you let him into your life. 
I'd like to invite the band up to play. And I'd invite you to close your eyes just as we reflect on what God's been saying to us today. Because I believe God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of you in this room. Some of you will be walking in that purpose already. Some of you will know that that's a calling that you're going to walk into later on in life. Others of you will have wandered from the calling that God has placed on your life and you know that you've walked away. You know that you've stepped away from the true purpose that God has revealed to you. You're doing something different just to bide the time, just to get through, just to get through this rough patch, this difficult season. And there'll also be some of you who don't know what you're called to do. Now, a calling isn't necessarily ministry. It isn't necessarily in the church context. We are called to our places of work. We are called to where we are serving God in the way we work and the things we do with our hands. You could be called to be a Christian in a workplace that's very toxic, that's very difficult to be in. That's a very hard and unloving place to be in. And God has placed you there for that exact purpose, to be that light in that dark place, to be that light and that love within that company, within that organisation. And as the bland play in the background, I want you to reflect on what the next step looks like. What's God saying to you tonight? Do you know your calling? Do you know the obstacles that you're facing? And are you willing to step over those obstacles and to walk into that calling? Because God will meet you today and help you to do that. As you're reflecting, I'm going to finish with these words from The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, written by Eric Roth. For what it's worth, it's never too late, or in my case, too early, to be whoever you want to be. There is no time limit. Stop whenever you want. You can change or stay the same. There are no rules to this thing. We can make the best or the worst of it. I hope you make the best of it. And I hope you see things that startle you. I hope you feel things you've never felt before. I hope you meet people with a different point of view. I hope you live a life you're proud of. If you find that you're not, I hope you have the courage to start all over again.